Welcome to the Business Animal Podcast. Saddle up for a gallop to the top of the animal industry, where you'll learn how to tame your wild business beast with tips, techniques, and tools that will take overwhelm to obedience school and have you wagging your tail with joy. And now your hosts, Kim Beer and Kara Taylor Swift. Hey there, business animals. It's Kim with Be More Business. And Kara with Sense Horse Photography. Hey, Kim, how are things in your neck of the woods today? It's raining here in Florida. Is it? Well, yep. I'll tell you, we Missourians would love to have a little bit more rain. We had a little <laughs> earlier in the week, but it's actually pretty dusty here. So really, maybe it'll kick up and move this way. Maybe my poor scaredy cat dogs would appreciate it. I've got two hanging out around me right now, hoping I will protect them from the rain. Hopefully it'll head your way a little bit. Anyway, what are we talking about today? Today we're talking about creating a website that doesn't suck. (laughs) How does that sound for a topic? I mean, it sounds like it's a pretty blunt way of saying what we need to say today. Y'all need to make sure your websites don't suck. Funny story about this. There is a website called Websites That Suck, and it's websitesthatsuck.com. But one of the tips that I have for you later in the show today is to make sure you don't have a lot of out of date information on your website. And the website, Websites That Suck, hasn't been updated since 2015. So I find that irony. Really? That is ironic. <laughs> Oh, they have a little thing across the top that says our 21st year, but they sort of died in 2015 and there's not a lot more. Oh, that's sad. After that. So yeah, that's the sad part. It's easy to have a sucky website. It is. And some of the sites that are on there, even if you want to go look at them, they are really, really, really bad. (laughs) Really bad. Oh, we don't want you, our dear listeners, to fall into the websites that suck category. So we want to help you today with three things that you can do to make sure your website doesn't suck. That's right. We're just talking about some simple things here that we think that folks can do to make sure their site doesn't suck. And this is interesting because I have just gone through a website revision and like total overhaul. I needed to redesign a little bit to make sure that my website was fitting where I am today and where I'm going. So with that being said, I've spent a lot of time thinking about some of these big three that we're going to go over today and also still thinking about them because you can set your website and kind of leave it to some extent. But like that example Kim just get, you have to be checking in on your website. You have to be updating. You have to be continuously making sure that things are still working properly and that it fits your needs. So we're going to talk about three things today. First of all, number one, Can people navigate your website? I mean, it sounds pretty simple, right? Like people should be able to do it. Of course, they just click and go to my website, but it's it's going to be a little deeper than that. Number two, are you serving both the hunters and the gatherers? I'm going to leave you hanging because Kim's going to explain who the hunters and the gatherers are. And number three, keep it up to date. Is your website up to date? So we're going to start. Kim, I'm going to let you jump in real quick. Sure. So let's start with number one and navigation. If people cannot find their way around your website, they aren't going to stay on your website. So they're not going to be able to get into the next page. They can't find what they want in some capacity. They do what we call in the website world of analytics. We call that bouncing. And if you want to know how people 
quickly people leave your site, you can sign up for Google Analytics. Just go to Google, just Google Google Analytics, and there's a place that you can sign up for that and Search Console and a bunch of other stuff. But Google Analytics will tell you how often they send people to your website. They'll even tell you where the people come from to get on your website. And they will also tell you the bounce rate, like how quickly people leave your website. And believe it or not, that is a really important thing because it tells Google how much they want to refer people to you. Because if people bounce off your website really quickly, it means that whatever they're getting there, they can't figure out where they want to go next or that there's any useful information. So they just leave. And that means your website is sucking and Google is going to go, yeah, we don't want to send people to a sucky website. So they don't. Another bad thing about the navigation or the information there not being relevant to the person that's visiting it is that then you lose a sale. You lose a potential customer because they can't either find what they're doing or they can't relate to what they see. So navigation is a big big thing. And navigation is the menu across the top of your website that allows people to go from page to page and get information that's categorized into areas. And it also means how people are moving through the information on each page, how they navigate from the top of the website as they scroll down through the bottom of the website. So there's vertical navigation, which is what I just said, and then there's horizontal navigation, which is the navigation bar across the top. Now, I have been designing websites since the internet began, <laughs> so I'm, <laughs> I'm old I am so old. That used to not be an indication of how old you were, but now it kind of is getting to be that way. And over the years, website design has gone through many phases. It's kind of like fashion. It rolls different things, roll through different times. There was a period of time when splash pages or a page that came up before your website was a really popular thing to do. And then there was dumbed down ones and there was really smart ones and there's lots of information on the page and then there's not a lot of information. So they all go through a lot of fashion changes and keeping up with it can be kind of crazy. I recommend you watch your competitors because that's the customers who your customers are going to. So if y'all are on the same fashion page, then it's all good. If you're different from everybody else, make sure it's different in a good way that your customers are happy with. Okay, all that said to say this, the navigation across the top needs to be clean, plain, and simple. So if you have the resist the urge to change about to something catchy, like, I don't know what people do now. They do crazy things in there, <laughs> like some catchy little phrase that people don't know what. Yeah. Meat, meat is okay, but about is better. Because about is about. Got That's it. what we're used to seeing. And it's industry standard, right? Yeah. And contact. People don't look for message me or reach out or things like that. They don't always associate that. Please use the word contact. Services is another one people like to jack around with the name of or products. So keep it plain and simple. People know what services are. They know what products are. They know what shop means. They know all of those things. But if you do something fun about like browse our catalog, one, it's three words long and it takes up way more room than it needs to. And you could do it just as easily uh -huh. with 
products or shop. So keep that navigation across the top of your page, super simple, super easy to deal with. Don't make it like 27 layers deep where you're like, oh my gosh, how am I even going to find my way around this website? Have you been to those websites where like you hover over something and like a five column selection pops out? And it's like too much. You're like, ah, I can't figure this out. And then if you accidentally hover in the wrong direction, it disappears and you have to scramble to find it again. Those could be scary. I think the big thing that yeah. you're trying to say is that website navigation has to be user-friendly. It has to be, what is it? Stupid simple, make it stupid simple. And that customers, consumers have to be able to easily find what they're looking for. They should not be having to hunt around your page for it, losing it, trying to find it again. It doesn't need to be ridiculously fancy and overly elemented to the point where people are struggling to get to where they need to get. Now, I think you have a test that you wanted to talk about. Is this where you want to talk about that? Yes, it is where I want to talk about my test. So if you really want to know how easy your website is to navigate, make yourself a list of the common things that people need to do on your website. These are things like be able to check out if you have e-commerce, like pick a product, find the product, pick that product and check out. Or maybe they need to sign up for your VIP list. That's another common thing we have people do on our website. Fill out the contact form. That's another common thing we do on the website. Have people find a specific piece of information like how to work with you. Like, what is their next step? Get an answer to a specific question that you know is answered in at least one or more places on your website. So make yourself a list of between 10 and 15 tasks that you know customers that come to your website are going to have to execute. Then what you're going to do is you're going to take one of your unwitting friends that doesn't know a ton about your business but loves you anyway, and you're going to ask them to complete those tasks and you're going to watch them do it. But here's the thing, you're going to put a piece of duct tape over your mouth and you're going to sit on your hands <laughs> so that you cannot show them where the answers are on your website. And if they can easily execute the tasks, then your website doesn't suck. Regardless of all of the imagery or anything like that, people can get where they need to get, do what they need to do, and be able to execute what they need to execute. If they can't, then now you know. So I did this task with some family members that were in town that were asking questions about my business. And I said, you know, I'd love it if you would actually look at my website and take a look at it and give me some feedback. And it's really hard not to stand there behind them. And when they make comments to explain them or justify them or argue the point of why you did something a certain way, but as Kim's saying, the key is really just kind of shut your mouth, let them perform the tasks, watch how quickly they can do it and learn from it, and then make your changes around that. And it's hard not to get defensive, but it is an exercise I think that everyone should do. Yeah, it definitely points out to you where there are some things that you could possibly improve in your website design for users. Now, if ideally you would pick your ideal client to be able to do this, like people who fit that demographic. So in other words, if you serve adults, don't ask a teenager to do it because then it doesn't 
fit, right? But it's a really enlightening exercise. And it is so hard not to tell them why you chose to do something that way. And to, like you said, to justify what you did. Are we ready to move on to hunting and gathering? Yes, I can't wait to hear about hunters and gatherers. So I'm going to let you start with that since you have a really cool theory here. Well, it's another metaphor. You know, what would I be without my metaphors? (laughs) (laughs) I place website visitors in one of two metaphorical categories. There's hunters and gatherers. So the hunter category are people who know what they want to do. And they go right to the point and they need to be able to get something done. So hunters are going to come to your website from Google to read a specific blog post or to answer a specific question that they have that they've determined your website has the answer to. But it's very specific. Hunters are also the customers that they need your email address, your phone number, your location, your hours. They know exactly what they want and they want to come get to your website and they need to get to that piece of information quick. And typically hunters are looking for contact information, which is why to support them, we want to make sure our contact information is on every single page of our website in some form or fashion. So on all the websites I design, I put my clients and my own contact information usually goes in the footer. So there's a phone number for the people who want the analog way of getting in touch with me. There's a link to my email for those who don't want to talk to me in person quite yet. So they can email me. If it's a business that I have that they need to get to the address of, the address or location is there and the hours are there in the footer. And then also in the footer is links to my social media, which is another thing that hunters are going to want to do. They're going to want to say, oh, I want to stay in touch with this brand because I had a really good experience with it. So I wonder if they're on Instagram or they're on Facebook or on LinkedIn or wherever you, YouTube, wherever you happen to be. So in the footer, there's links to those things. Now, footer design can be a million different things. That could be a simple little one-inch bar at the bottom of the page that has all of those links links rather lined out, or it could be complex with a bunch of columns and a lot more information. So the hunter can find what they need to find pretty much on every single page, or if it's not a repeatable piece of information like contact or connection information, that it is clearly lined out for them that they can get to the blog post they want to read or to the FAQ that they need to look at. So that's hunters. Gatherers, on the other hand, are the people that are in that problem-aware, solution-aware phase of the customer journey, and they are here to learn about you, about your business, about the solutions that you offer, about the features, all about it. And for them, they want to wander around a little bit and fill their basket up with the nuggets that they are able to pick out of your website. So it's really important that we serve them as well because they don't necessarily come with a really specific laser-focused task in mind to your website. They come to explore and to find out more information about what it is. They're gathering data to be able to make the decision. And we want to lead them, so to speak, using our breadcrumb trails 
through an experience with our website where they stay there for a period of time and they really gather all the information that they need. And we want our website to be structured in a way that they can dwell down deeper. So the initial interest is like really kind of broad, but along the way, there's little breadcrumbs or links is what we call those in the website world. There's links or buttons or something that help them find their way along the path and gather the information that they want to gather. So that's my hunter-gatherer metaphor. Would you say that gatherers are also people that maybe are... They are problem aware, but maybe they're and solution aware, but maybe they're not use solution aware yet. So they are searching on Google and they come across your website or kind of meeting you for the first time that way as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. And most people, before they really choose a solution, they look at numerous options and they'll examine all of those people's websites and information. So it's really important to understand how to serve that person while at the same time making sure your hunter can get exactly what they need when they need it and be able to execute whatever step it is that they're trying to execute. Got it. So that means as a business owner, then we have to be really clear on who we're serving with our website. And that can be tricky sometimes when you're maybe trying to serve two different types of people or you've got some different buckets that you need your website to fulfill for you. There are some things to consider to make sure that your website doesn't suck. And I have a list here. Kip already mentioned menu, website navigation, just making sure that that's usual friendly, that you think about how you put things together, like your titles and the directions uh, that people can take on your website and how easy it is just in general for the navigation. You also need to have good copy. And the copy needs to include terminology that your potential customer would actually use in the out in the wild. It's okay to have some industry standard language there too, but having good copy that is used out in the wild that when people are searching can help you be found is really important too. And use that copy in a way that tells the story of what you do through the work that you do and the services and products that you provide. You also need to spend a little time making sure that you're using correct spelling and grammar. Nothing to me says screams unprofessional or a not professional business than hopping on your website and seeing major grammatical errors or major spelling errors. So, you know, spending some time, this is one of those places you can have someone go and read through your website. Maybe when you're doing the test, as we mentioned in Big Three Number One, you could ask them to point out anything that they see or something is spelled correctly, incorrectly, or just is really worded wrong in a really weird way. It's important, I think, on websites today, if you've got social media to have some form of social media integration. Kim mentioned that you have a, a contact option available on every page, if necessarily, of a website. She does it down on the footer and she makes sure that the social media integration is there. It's easy. And that folks that want to follow your journey and also learn a little more about the day-to-day of your business and like up-to-date stuff because your website more than likely has more general stuff about what you do. It may not have a day-to-day running of your actions and your life and your abilities out in the real world that you're doing every single day for your customers. So social media is a great place for that. And having that integration can allow people to more intimately follow you and get to know you. Your website should have a call to action of some kind or an opt-in offer or both. 
It should have some way to get people to engage and to take the next step to work with you. I love coming across websites that are using testimonials. So they've got their clients speaking for them and that's prominent somewhere on the website. On this next section, FAQs, having a frequently asked question section on your website can be really helpful. We have done an entire podcast episode on the FAQ section. So if you missed that, go check it out. But having that available is good for so many reasons. As we mentioned before, having a way that someone can contact you, having a contact page that's clearly labeled contact or something similar that's not too oddball-ish, but having it available and easy to find quickly for those hunters. It should have the location that you provide services. If not, if you're selling a product that can go anywhere, I can tell you Having this on the website is huge. I've had people contact me previously from all over the place asking me where I'm located. And so I knew I needed to make sure that that information was front and center somewhere on my webpage. And y'all, this one is one that's near and dear to my heart. You've got to have good imagery. You've got to have images that speak well to your brand, that are professional, that are a first impression for your business when someone comes to your site that draw people in. We've, I'm pretty sure we've done an episode around imagery as well, but the images are huge. Every website developer builder that I've spoken to, one of the biggest things that they say is it's so nice when you can work with someone that already has access to good pictures or they're willing to invest in good pictures. They understand that blurry, out of focus, low resolution, out of date cell phone images are just not cutting it. So good imagery is huge. Got two more here. The next one is that you've got to have a secure site. And if you're selling something, it should be a secure checkout process as well. So that you've got the trust factor. And then the last piece that I get in trouble for all the time with my blog posts is testing your links regularly. You don't want to have a bunch of bad links that people click on and then they go to dead pages from the internet. And Google doesn't like that either. So this is a really long list. We'll put it somewhere for you guys to come back and look at. But I hope that helps a little bit. Kim, do you want to add anything to that? Well, I want to comment on a couple of things that you said. One is on the contact area. And this is, again, so important Mm -hmm. to be able to have people contact you. A lot of people want to email you from your website. They don't necessarily want to have to email you from their email service system, like their Gmail account or something. Well, it's another step they would have to take, right? Yeah, So when you have a contact form that people can fill out, then that's a really good way for people to reach you. The problem with that is it oftentimes doesn't leave them a copy of their message. So some people are okay with that. Some people are not okay with that. So some people want to go to the trouble of getting your email address and going to their email software to be able to email you. And others want to have the form right on your website for convenience and they don't care about the copy. So make sure when you have your contact page for email that you have both of those things available. In other words, you don't just have a form without listing your email address on there as well. Such a good point. So make sure you have both options available. So if right now you only have your email address, add a form. If you only have a form, add your email address because that gives people the choice that they want to make. And trust me, the two camps know what they're looking for. So they'll each look at that. On the security factor, 
you have to have an SSL certificate these days. I mean, there's just no way around it. So most managed WordPress websites and websites that come from different areas, different website builders will generally have an SSL included because that's how important it is these days. But SSL certificates are extremely important. And SSL stands for Secure Socket Layer. And what it does is it encrypts the data that goes from your website into someone else. So like that email form, when people send it from your site, it encrypts the data so that that person's email address and message can't get grabbed by a hacker. So it's really important. When it comes to financial information, it is absolutely critical and there's a whole nother level of security needed. For most businesses, that means that you have some type of a merchant processor that handles the collection of the data of financial information and then uses a much more complex encryption system to get it where it needs to go. In general, when you have a checkout system through some type of a third party like PayPal or Authorize.net or something like that, that encryption system is on their side of the wall. And so they're able to really contain that very well. I do not ever recommend just using a plain SSL certificate to grab people's credit card information because the encryption level is not high enough to be able to handle that and you can get yourself in some trouble. So make sure you're using a product like PayPal or Authorize.net is a merchant processor or Square or Stripe or one of those types of systems. I also use WePay. There's a whole bunch of them out there. And yes, there is a fee. And yes, you're going to have to pay it. And yes, it's part of doing business to keep your customers' data safe. If you want to think about it this way, it's a whole heck of a lot more expensive to deal with a lawsuit because somebody hacked that financial information and was able to use it to steal a ton of money or run up a big credit card bill. So those are a couple of things. Everything else was spot on. I just wanted to elaborate because I think those are two places people get kind of hung up or confused. Awesome. So that I think takes us right into number three, which is, is your site looking good on all devices? And this is such a modern time when we're all using our cell phones for everything these days. And we have information that we can get pretty much from anywhere. So I have never looked to see where people are, if they're coming from a desktop or a cell phone. I don't know, is that even possible to go on and look to see where people are viewing your website from? Is that possible? Google Analytics will tell you. Yeah. Awesome. So I need to dig a little deeper than in my Google Analytics, it sounds, but that's really neat information to know. And I know personally, I spend a lot of time on my cell phone looking at websites. So when I get to one that is just not formatted, for my cell phone, it really, to me, it's a problem. It's a big problem. And I think there are a lot of people that don't use desktop on a regular basis. So they need to be able to go all the way back to the number one. They need to be able to navigate your website easily. That includes mobile. And sometimes that means you have to put an active thought into choosing a design that is user-friendly on a mobile site. So Kim, I know you have some things you want to add to this. So go, go ahead, jump right in. Yeah. So 
What we call mobile design is it has to be responsive. So responsive means that the software looks at the device that it's being displayed on and then it, it automatically changes itself to be able to be displayed well on that device. So cell phones in particular, so there's three types of devices your website gets displayed on. There's desktop computers, laptop computer, well, I guess there's four, desktop computers, laptop computers. We tend to kind of throw those together. Then there's tablets, and then there's a cell phone. So if you're looking at a website on a cell phone that on a desktop has multiple columns, Responsive design will understand that those columns are not going to show up correctly on a cell phone because the, the orientation of the screen. So think about that for a moment. Your desktop and your laptop are horizontal, whereas your cell phone is vertical. So it has to take the data that would be displayed normally in three columns and reduce it to one. So it responsively does that. If a picture or image is designed to be full width, it takes the full width of the narrower screen. So it's really important to look at your website on different devices. Almost every modern website template or software allows for this now. It used to be that it wasn't all of them, but we've had cell phones and tablets around long enough that now they do. And so in general, almost every website development platform that I've worked on in the last few years has offered the ability to modify your design for different devices. And generally, it lumps laptops and desktops into one category, and then it puts the tablets in a category and the cell phone in a category. So when you're looking at your overall web design, you're able to change things like font size or the way that data flows dependent upon each device. And you as the designer have control over how that data flows or how it is displayed, like what font size on the different devices. So maybe you have 80 point headings on a desktop computer and you have 40 point headings on a tablet and 24 point headings on a cell phone to make it look good across all of those different devices. And because the software knows what device it's being displayed on, then it knows how to display those things. So it's important from as a business owner's perspective, whether you're doing the design work yourself or whether you're hiring somebody, it's your job to take a look at your website on as many different devices as you can to understand it. And I will tell you the place that you will fall on your face, and that's the different sizes of laptop screens. So most of the time, you know, I mean, if you look at a website on a 16-inch laptop versus an 11-inch laptop, the 11-inch laptop is oftentimes has a smaller screen than a tablet. And so responsive design will take into account that that is a smaller screen, but it doesn't recognize it as a different device. So it shrinks things down or it makes the type the same size, but because it doesn't have as much pixel widths to work with, it'll break it in weird areas. 
So it's important when you start with a new website or when you're having your website kind of overhauled or you make some major changes that you try to find some people that have laptop screens of different sizes or desktop screens of different sizes and look at your website on that to see if it's maybe broken. I run into this all the time as a designer. I design on a 27-inch screen. I always make it look sure it looks good on a tablet and a phone. And then somebody with a 12-inch laptop will call me and say, my type is broken on my website. I'd be like, Ugh. it says stern laptops that get me every time. And so it's, <laughs> it's important that you start to establish with yourself how your website is going to look. One of the ways that you can do that if you don't have access to a smaller screen is to take your browser window on the larger screen and make it smaller and see if there's a point in there where you can break it to where the type or the images don't look right and before it switches from desktop to tablet. And then once it goes to tablet, it'll look totally different. So I hope that wasn't all too confusing. It's probably more than you ever wanted to know about mobile design. No, it's so good though, because I think a lot of times we don't think about that at all. We think about how it looks on the screen that we're looking at it in. And the truth is, is that people are using all sorts of different devices to access our site and it's gotta be user-friendly across the board. So even knowing that that's an issue can help somebody make good choices around website design. And don't be afraid to hire somebody for this purpose. Like there are lots of professionals out there that this is what they do. This is what they have spent their education and their life to like be really good at. Like we don't have to be really good at this by ourselves where we're trying to run our own business out there. I'm raising my hands. Like I know I cannot do this myself. So being able to get help is huge. So Kim, are you ready to recap the big three? What do you think? I think we can recap the big three and get people on to making sure their website doesn't suck. Awesome. So, okay. So just three things you can do to make sure your website doesn't suck. Can people navigate your website? It's got to be user-friendly. It's got to be something that people can navigate easily through their menu and drill their way down to the things that they need. Number two, are you serving both the hunters and the gatherers? Are you serving easily the people that are coming there looking for something specific that they can find quickly and easily? And are you out there and available for those that are just trying to learn, that need to get some information, trying to determine if they should work with you. You need to make sure you're thinking about both of those audiences and not just one when you're putting your website together. And then number three, is your site looking good on all devices? It is so important today to make sure that anyone from anywhere can look at your website and that it's understandable, that it's clear, that they can navigate easily on it, and that it just all around is a good representation for your business. I think that's it for us today. I would just like to say thank you for joining us. We are making our way to 90 episodes. We're really happy about that. And we would love that if you have listened and you are enjoying and you're getting something out of these episodes, that you would join us on social media at Instagram, Facebook, at The Business Animal, and also that if you would leave us a review and a rating on the device that you listen from. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Business Animal. Be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And if you learned something today, leave us a review. To learn more, find us at thebusinessanimal.com. We'd love to hear from you. Until next time, keep your business well-trained with The Business Animal.